Let's pray. Father in heaven, we just sang, great are you, Lord. Worthy of praise. This is why we do what we do. This is why we gather. You are worthy of our lives, worthy of our best efforts, worthy of our best energies, of our resources. You are worthy of praise. We are in a world that hates you. But in that world, Lord, there will be rebels who you will turn. You will melt their hearts. You will soften them with with Christ, with the blood of Christ. And so we pray. Lord, I pray. I pray for my brothers and sisters who have had a hard year. We have had a hard year. And I pray for those who don't know you. I pray that they would come to know you. And join in the greatest endeavor in the universe. That is to serve and honor Christ. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15? 1 Corinthians chapter 15. This is one of my favorite verses. I was thinking about what we should go through. And of course, we're in 1 Corinthians again, right? 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We're going to just go through one verse. One verse. And if you would follow with me, it's verse 58. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. This is, Jeremy has uh, just alluded a little bit. This has probably been the hardest year for the church in general as far as the church international. But for the local church, it's been hard for us. We don't want to sugarcoat that. It has been a hard year. In this world, we've been assailed with different divisions of what's happening in the world. And yet by God's grace, he has given us unity. And we have held each other as we are on the foxholes of this, of this battle. The COVID restrictions, the ethnic divides. Locally, we didn't even have a place to meet. We were meeting outdoors for over a year. There's much discouragement. There were a lot of, there's been some wandering sheep that has broken our hearts. And difficulties, if we are not aware, if we are not focus on Christ and his resurrection and his power. Brothers and sisters, you could be robbed of your zeal. You could be robbed of your fervor to serve Christ. You might be stuck at a place where you'll say, you know, I don't have any more to give. I'm so hurt. I'm licking my wounds. I can't give any more. But Christ, he gives his unchanging truth to help you to weather the storms, brothers and sisters, and to serve him with your whole life. God gave you this passage this morning so you would continue or begin, if you are a new Christian, begin to serve Christ with every fiber of your being 
all your days. That is the goal of this text. That is the purpose of this text. That you would serve him with every fiber of your being all of your days. Serving the Lord is the doing of good works. The propagation of the glory of God based on the person and the work of Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit. And God gives you four important particulars in the service of his son. Number one, just four particulars. I just want to help you to maybe encourage you. Number one, serving Christ is the privilege of believers. Serving Christ is the privilege of believers. He says, my beloved brethren. The word therefore beloved is the object of one's affection. One who is loved, one who is dear. And this stresses Paul's utmost devotion to them in the thick and in the thin. Through the difficult times and through the easy times. Through the times of laughter and through the times of weeping. He says, you are my beloved brethren. It's based on the word agape, which is the love of the will, which focuses on doing good on the object, irrespective of whether or not any benefits received. And then he says, my beloved brethren, we have to watch. This is the serving Christ is the privilege of believers, brothers and sisters. You get to do this. You get to serve the king of kings. Now, uh, um, oftentimes... Especially in uh, Veterans Day or when it's the Marine's birthday. I like to send a little note or I like to encourage people. And I honestly, I honestly say this when I say thank you for your service. I really, I really mean that. Because I know what it is to live in a country where we are not free to preach the gospel. And so when I say thank you for your service, there is this understanding that serving the people of America through the military, there's a nobility to it. There's an integrity to it of its highest ideals. That's what, we are, that's what we believe. And that's why we say thank you for your service. But even more than that, brothers and sisters, when you serve the Lord, the King of Kings, there is a calling a honor, a privilege that I get to serve. I get to serve God. And brothers and sisters, when you lose that idea, when your connection with serving God and your connection of, well, I'm just setting up chairs or I'm just putting cords down and everything, and you don't realize who it is you're serving that can rob you of your joy. That could rob you of your zeal. He says, brethren, this is a family term which has its technical use to mean fellow believer in Christ. It's not used broadly in the the sense that everyone in the world is your brethren or your brother. Or, you know, you hear it on the street, hey, brah, right? It's not, we're not saying that at all. This is a technical term that is, when we say brothers and sisters or brethren, These are those who say they trust in Christ for their salvation and have repented of their sins. These are those of what we sang. We share the same confession. We share the same beliefs. We share the same things and the uh, the same values of who Christ is. We know this from 1 Corinthians chapter 1. If you would just turn there in the same book, 
Who are these brethren? In verse chapter 1, verse 2, it is to the church of God, which is at Corinth. So clearly it is the assembly, it is the ecclesia who have been brought together. It is also in verse 2, it is those who are sanctified in Christ. Those who have been separate, separate, from, uh, separate from the world, set apart to Christ. It is those who have been saints by calling. Those who have been called apart from this world. And unto him. It are those by, in verse 5, who have been enriched. Verse 5, who have been enriched in him. In all speech. In all knowledge. In verse 7, those who are awaiting the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 8, those who are confirmed to the end. Verse 9, those who are called into the fellowship with his son. Verse 10, these are the brethren. This is what I mean This is what the scriptures mean when we say brothers and sisters. Back in verse 15, uh, chapter 15, go there. These brethren are those who are believers in Christ. Believers in the gospel. That God created you, you have sinned against him. And notice in verses 3 to 7, Paul says, For I delivered to you as a first importance of what I received. This is the most important thing of all of life, brothers and sisters. This is what should center your life. When you think about serving Christ, it shouldn't be, Oh, all these other things. Uh, uh, serving the Lord is going to block all these other things. What, what the Word of God says is that serving Christ should be your focus. It should be of the first important. Why? Because Christ rose from the dead. He says here, and he situates it, that God gave his Son for you in verses 3 to 7. I delivered this of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. Verses 1 and 2 says that they received it. I preach to you what you also receive and which you stand by which you are saved. When you receive, when you welcome the gospel, that yes, I am a sinner, but yes, there is a Christ who can wash away all my sins. And if I trust in him and repent of the world, then I will be saved. This is what the gospel is. And if you're not there, brothers and sisters, brothers and sisters, we, I commend you, continue on in this. And if you're here visiting and you are not there yet, keep coming. Keep listening. Keep wondering why we sing. Why is it that we cry when we praise him? Because of his faithfulness to us. Why is it that we, when we wake up in the morning and we can't face the day, we go into him in prayer. And we know he hears our prayers. Why is it that we treasure him? And we laud him. We give him all the glory. Because he's worth it. It is a privilege to serve Christ in any capacity. So why do I belabor this point? Often people believe that, a, that to be a Christian, I got to do good things. If I do good things, then I will become a Christian. That is false. That is wrong. It is the wrong order. On the contrary, that order is wrong. It is when I am convicted of my sins and I have trusted in Christ, now I want to do good things for him. Now I want to serve Christ. In other words, true service to Christ is not to write a relationship with him. True service is because of a right relationship already with him. He takes the first step. 
And he, let, he says, I am on this mission. I am on the mission to save sinners. I will convict them and I will cause them to see their sin and cause them to see joy and forgiveness in me. Will you join me in this work? Yes, I will. It's a privilege to do it. Thank you. Why would you even consider me? I want to serve you. Conversely, simply helping humanity is not necessarily serving Christ. Folks, for many reasons, do good things. A majority of the time, it's to virtue signal on social media. This too is not serving Christ. Serving Christ is following his agenda, his mission, his purposes, his desires. It makes no sense to say you are a good Marine, yet you never do what your superior officer says. So too with Christ. You cannot say you serve him and yet do whatever you want. If in fact he is your Lord and Savior, you're going to want to please him. So first, serving Christ is a privilege of believers and believers only. Second, serving Christ is rooted in truth. Now this is extremely important. Verse 58 says, starts with the word, therefore. And as we always tell our kids and always tell the youth and the young adults, that we always have to discover what the therefore is there for. And he's going to explain this exhortation based on the truth previously revealed. Paul says that service to Christ should be rooted, motivated, and sustained by truth of Christ. So what is this specific truth? There are two specific truths that he's saying should propel you, should motivate you, should empower you, should encourage you when you're weak, should strengthen you, should get you back up. The two specific truths. The first one, of course, is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That from verses 3 to 4, he says of first, first importance, if, it in, if this is what Paul is saying, that Christ died for our sins, verse 3, according to the scriptures, and he was buried and he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures, and he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, and he appeared to more than 500 brethren. And so Paul's argument all the way down to verse 58 is saying, if the resurrection is true, if Christ did rise from the dead, if he was, uh, if he was killed and he bled and he, and he was put on a cross and he was resurrected, if that's true, it changes everything. Your life should never ever be the same anymore. If Christ did in fact prove who he was by the resurrection, then my life should be completely, if I'm a believer in Christ, should be completely and markedly different. That's his argument. This explains your very existence now. I see my existence through the resurrection. This explains your very purpose of why you're here. This explains the purpose of life itself. The fact of the matter is, you were created for a much higher calling, a much higher service than any distinction here on earth. I love to read different uh, biographies or I get some feeds on, on, on media of 
different guys who won the Congressional Medal of Honor. I just love to read it. And they get the highest distinction. They get, they get the highest of medals. But you know what? You, as a Christian, have an even higher distinction of serving the King of Kings. That's what... It don't look like it, Angelo. I'm in the nursery and I'm serving the King of Kings. I'm putting up signs and I'm serving the King of Kings. I'm rolling up cords and I'm serving the King of Kings. That's what the text says. And if you forget who you're serving, you will lose your zeal. I'll tell you right away. The resurrection of Christ proved what he said was true and validates a life given to him. Paul clearly states that as a veracity of his forgiveness and his motivation for service, verse 10, he says, if that's true, if the resurrection is true, he goes, verse 10, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. His grace toward me did not prove vain and I labored even more than all of them, but the grace of God was with me. What is he saying? He says, because this is true, because I've been captivated by his grace, that unmerited favor that has changed my life, because I've been captivated by his glory, I have to serve him. I have to give my life for him. I have to exhaust myself in the sharing of Christ with those who don't know him. I have to edify those who are discouraged. I got to rebuke those who are going the wrong way. I have to. Why? Because he died for me. Isn't that the essence of Christianity? The resurrection of Christ is so important. He says here in verses 14 to 20, notice in verse 14 he says, If Christ has not been raised and our preaching is vain, your faith is also in vain. If Christ was not resurrected, your evangelization is useless. Christianity is nothing, brothers and sisters, without the resurrection. Don't tell me about morality. Don't tell me about what your friends say about, oh, if it's good for you, then it's, it, it'll help you with your life. And if it's good for you, that'll help you with your life. It is nothing. We're wasting our time. Stretching ourselves. Giving for his glory. Reaching other tribes who don't know him. You are wasting your time. This is what the Bible says. The Bible says, look at verse 10. Uh, excuse me, verse 14, he says, if Christ has not been raised and our preaching is vain, your faith is also vain. That means you are believing in a deception. He says in verse 15, moreover, we have been found to be false witnesses. He says, you're a liar. If there is no resurrection, you're a liar. He says, if there's no resurrection in verse 16, for if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. That you have no afterlife. There is no hope for you. Verse 17. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless and you're still in your sins. You have no forgiveness. Verse 19, I think, is the saddest he says, if we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we are, all of, we are of all men most to be pitied. What's he saying? If there was no resurrection and you spent your life serving him, you spent your life in a church to try and 
help people to know him. You spent your life sharing the gospel, spent your life teaching Bible studies, discipling others, encouraging your friends. He says, you know what? If Christ didn't resurrect, you wasted your time. That's pitiful. You could have been eating, drinking, and being merry, partying with the rest of the crowd. He says, no. If he didn't resurrect, we should be pitied. We wasted it. But then he switches in verse 20. He says, but now Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who are asleep. In other words, his, he situates us here that if in fact Christ did raise from the dead, then nothing that we did for him is in vain. This is the linchpin. Secondly, the, uh, the other truth that we are to hold to is not only the resurrection of Christ, but the resurrection of the believer. In verse 22, he ties us to, notice he says here, in verse 22, for as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. So we are connected by birth in Adam, and then you are connected by the new birth to Christ. Verses 23 to 28, Christ destroys death. We could read that and study that in, later. But in 51 to 57, right before our verse, just to get this context, in 51 to 57, 54 to 57, he says, but this, then this perishable will have put on the imperishable and this mortal about the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. And the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ at the end. At the end. If Christ did rise from the dead and you are connected to Christ by faith, he says, this is actually true of you. You share in the victory over death. It's almost mocking death, you see there. Where's your victory? It's kind of like a, two MMA fighters and one guy says, come on, come on, come on, like that. You're actually mocking death because I know my Savior conquered it. Now, that's why he says, therefore. All of that weight of that truth, not because of emotion, Although you may have good emotions, not because of simply good times and being with each other, the therefore is rooted in truth. See, you, brothers and sisters, you can weather the losses because Christ has given you the victory. You can take the risks. Serving Christ is, you're taking risks. You can take the risk. Why? Because Christ has ensured security. Remember, he says imperishable. You can take the ridicule because the stakes are high. I know that I have to share. I know that someone may not like me after I share the gospel with them. I know that I might lose an acquaintance or a friend. But the stakes are too high. The glory of Christ and the salvation of mankind. 
You can serve hard because there's a reward of rest in the end with Christ. You can serve with conviction because you know your sins are forgiven. Instead of having that doubt, oh God, how can I serve you? Now you know that your sins are forgiven, that Christ actually died on the cross and he rose from the dead to prove it. So I don't have to blame myself anymore. I don't have to beat myself up anymore. Because all that they say about me, about my sins, which are probably true, have been met on the cross and it was proved by the resurrection. So yes, I'm a sinner and yes, I get to serve him. At the same time, you can persevere because the same power that resurrected Christ is the same power that aids you to continue to believe and live for him. This is why Paul said later on in Philippians 3 that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. So first, first to serve Christ with every fiber of your being, with every fiber of your being, you need to know that serving him is a privilege of believers. Serving him has to be rooted in truth. If it is not rooted in truth and only on how you feel that day, you cannot be steadfast. You will never mature. If your Christianity is how you feel that day, rather than what is the truth, what is the truth, you will never mature as a Christian. Let me tell you. You'll be tossed back and forth because of your emotions, rather than the truth of the resurrection. And so Paul, he situates it. He situates your service, your life, Walk with him in the fact of the resurrection. Thirdly, serving Christ is a resolution of the will. You have to decide to do it. No matter how I feel, even if my heart is wrong, not, I, I won't go into it with a wrong heart. What do I do instead? I ask God to change my heart so I can do it properly. But it is a decision. He says to be steadfast. Notice, this is how your life should be, brothers and sisters, if you claim to know Christ. You have to be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Now look at these terms. He's layering and layering these terms to show you what a mature Christian looks like. This is not for the super Christian. This is not for the apostle only. This is not for pastors or elders or deacons only. He is saying this to the whole church. He says to be steadfast. That means to be firm, unwavering, settled. It means to be seated, firmly situated. He says to be immovable, which is unshaken, to be steady. It has more of an intensity than just being steadfast. It means not to be moved away from the will of God. The will of God is outlined in the scriptures. It is the scriptures. And then he says, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Always. This means at all times. Abounding means to be in abundance, to be a lot of, to exist in large quantity. To be left over more than enough. I've got more than enough ministry on my plate. That's how it is. I'm just so full. I get to serve Christ. Ooh, there's a little thing I could do for Christ. Let me do that. Ooh, this sister or this brother is discouraged. Let me go send them a note. Ooh, someone needs some encouragement. I'm going to go do that. 
So here's God's word to you, brothers and sisters. If you've trusted in Christ and you've been forgiven and you believe in the resurrection of Christ and your life is bound in Christ, then the most logical, the most sensible purpose is to give your life in service to him. If Christ is God and he proved it in the resurrection, then there could be nothing more important than knowing him and serving him more. Serving Christ is a resolution of the will because since it is based on the unchangeable fact of the resurrection, the unchangeable fact of your union with Christ's resurrection, then your service to him should be steadfast, immovable, and abounding. Gone should be the notions of serving Christ only when you feel like it. Rather, you should mature and serve in good times and bad, in times of ease and difficulty. Christ does not change, neither should your service to Christ change. One commentator said this, that serving Christ should be steadfast, unchangeable, not erratic, and scatterbrained, not easily discouraged, don't be the Christian who just a one minor setback, all of a sudden they want to give up. Not easily discouraged or should multiply our good works in the knowledge that the Lord will make them profitable. If your trust in Christ and the resurrection falters and there are no eternal stakes as to how you live your life, then giving, your, giving yourself in service and growing in holiness will lack motivation. Keep your eyes on Christ, Christian. Keep your eyes on Christ. Christian, are you truly serving Christ? Are you overflowing, abounding in service? Or are you just cruising now? Are you just cruising? Are you sitting in the bleachers? Or are you giving yourself to him? There are so many of your friends who don't know him. There are so many of your brothers and sisters who are discouraged and need to be lifted up. There's no time for a Christian to say, oh, I've been there. I've done that. Let others do it. The question really comes to, like what we sang, is Christ worthy now? Is he worthy now? Now, this does not mean you don't have reasonable rest or exercise and diversions, hobbies and sports. You need to rest. You need to exercise. You need to do some sports. You were made with a body and not just a soul. What it does mean is that you don't make them idols that you bow down to. Too many Christians only give themselves to leisure and diversions. That's their whole life. What's the next movie? What's the, my next vacation? What's my next this and that? Oh, what's the next fun thing to do? Where are you serving the Lord? How are you serving in the local church? Refreshing times and diversions are good only as they refresh your soul to be more effective. But so many believers are simply too occupied with other things that they are not really 
effective in the work of the Lord? And that's a question you have to ask yourself in any stage of life. How am I serving Christ? Rather than saying, well, I can't serve because of this and this and this. Why don't you start to think, how can I serve then? How can I help with the mission? So first, serving Christ is a privilege of believers. Second, serving Christ is rooted in truth in the resurrection, ascension, and exaltation of Christ. Those are the terms. And third, serving Christ is a resolution of the will. You have to decide this, not how you feel, but based on what is true. And lastly, serving Christ produces eternal consequences. Knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. The word there for knowing is to understand, to remember it's a constant intentionality of desiring eternal consequences. The toil is the word for hard labor. It's usually used like for really hard labor like digging or plowing the ground. Vain is for no purpose or without results. And, and of course, Lord is a reference to Christ. There needs to be a constant reminder, brothers and sisters... And replaying of the truths of the word of God to remember that your labor is not in vain. Now, let's be frank and let's be honest now. There are temptations to think your work is in vain. We have all been there. Ungratefulness from the people you serve. Sometimes that, that's, that's there. If you don't know this, sometimes sheep bite back. They do. If you think that you're going to keep, you're going to still be able to serve other folks because of their display of gratefulness to you, you better think again. You're going to run out pretty soon. Or maybe a lack of salvation or fruitfulness in the people you serve. I keep serving in this ministry and I don't see people come to Christ. I don't see any change. Nothing's happening. I think one of the most difficult ones for me that gives me a temptation to think that your work is in vain is departures from the faith. Jesus, but see, Jesus had that in Judas, didn't he? Judas left Jesus. Paul had that in Demas, correct? Demas left Paul. They are far greater disciples than you. See, here's a difficulty. If you've been and you've been helping and in this discipleship work, this commission that God has told us to do, you're discipling someone, you wake up early, you study, you pour time, you give your heart, you spend money, and then they leave. They leave Christ. They don't want to listen anymore. And then you think, man, is it all a waste? Christian, here's what God says to you. All your efforts to serve him will never be wasted. Not one thing. 
Every time, brothers and sisters, you chose to serve Christ, it will never be wasted. The story is not over, and you don't know the end. I think what Jeremy was saying, we don't know what, what the end of the story is going to be. Someone departing from the faith is not a reason to quit. Why? Because our basis should be in the resurrection of Christ. Correct? So the response of someone who positively receives it or the response of someone who negatively rejects it should not affect you as your faith should be based on the resurrection of Christ and me being bound up with him. It doesn't change the facts. Does it hurt? Yeah, it hurts. It hurts. But let me remind you of a verse. He says, so will my word, this is God speaking, be which goes forth from my mouth, it will not return to me empty without accomplishing what I desire. And without succeeding in the matter for which I sent it. God himself says his word always has fruit. I can tell you all these stories I've had in my life. Where folks I've shared the gospel with. And I thought I was wasting my time. I keep sharing and you're not listening. You're not listening. 25 years later they find me on social media. Hey I just came to Christ. I still have the Bible you gave me. I'm, st- I'm just stunned at my lack of faith and me thinking and, being, and falling to the temptation that my work in the Lord was in vain. Why? Because I just wanted quick results. Brothers and sisters, we're in for the long game. You understand? Ministry is the long game. You keep planting, planting the seeds, and you let God grow it in his time. And everything you've done, he has not forgotten. You understand? Thank you, Father. Thank you that we can rest in you. We can rest in Christ. That serving you is a privilege. That serving you should be rooted in truth. That serving you will be fruitful. Lord, I pray for my discouraged brothers or sisters Let them continue on and let their faith be on the resurrection of Christ. That's why I do it. Because he's worth it. Because he died for my sins. Lord, help them. If they're discouraged, I pray you would strengthen them. Lift them up, God. Lord, thank you for today. We've just sang songs about how great your faithfulness is to us. You've been so faithful, God. You've been so, uh, you've, all I have needed, thy hand has provided. We praise you. You've taken care of RBC. We're still standing by your grace. Help us to celebrate and have fun. Thank you for the food. Help us to sing in Jesus' name. Amen.